most companies today or, or many companies today believe in this whole hustle culture, right? Like go above and beyond, do what it takes, all those kind of things. But quiet quitting is more doing what's expected of your job, right? And, and just kind of operating at that level has led to the stigma that that's somehow that's underperforming. Welcome to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. So, have you heard the term quiet quitting? It seems to be the topic on everyone's minds and lips. Opinions are deeply divided over this professional topic du jour, with some feeling it's a lazy generation's way to make themselves feel okay about doing less, while others feel it's a bold move of boundary setting against corporate environments that use people and chew them up and spit them out. And I get that. No matter where you fall on the spectrum, it's clear this conversation is white hot. So we wanted to take it on. Our guest today is Neil Count. Neil is the Chief Executive Officer of the National Society of Leadership and Success. He serves as the brand's Chief Ambassador, expressing his and the organization's desire to help upskill individuals so they can future-proof their career and meet the needs of the global economy. With 18 years of experience in the educational space, Neil has a proven track record for leading corporate expansions into emerging markets. He's also developed and executed successful strategies for high-growth verticals, especially online transformations. Formerly, Neil was the CEO of Livius Prep, one of the nation's leading providers of college preparation programs. He's also the co-founder of Latin-based Kennedy Executive Education, an industry leader in providing online skill-based certificate programs to universities and corporate partners throughout Latin America. Clearly, Neil is a voice who can shed some light on this situation because Lord knows we need it. So listen to today's show if you are one of the folks who's ready to take a step back and do the bare minimum because hashtag quiet quitting gave you permission and you're taking it. If you're on the other side thinking, what is going on with this generation? Or maybe if you're an employer, entrepreneur, or hiring manager freaked out about the future of talent. All right. Well, welcome, Neil. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I think that I at least just assume that everyone's heard of of quiet quitting, right? Because it's so pervasive in my life and it's such a hot button topic. But I have to imagine that there are certain people out there who are entirely unfamiliar with the concept in general. So can you start off with maybe just a quick explanation of what quiet quitting is and when you kind of saw it starting, when people started to talk about it? Yeah, so quiet quitting is something that's been, I would say, something more relatively recent, right? And, um, you know, I think a lot of folks kind of attribute it more towards kind of Gen Z's feelings around the workplace, right? And the idea and the concept is that, you know, listen, as someone who's in the workforce today, I'm not sure what the real long-term incentive for me is here, right? And so, you know, do I really overextend myself to, to contribute to this company above and beyond, than what is required of my job, right? And so most companies today or, or many companies today believe in this whole hustle culture, right? Like go above and beyond, do what it takes, all those kind of things. But quiet quitting is more doing what's expected of your job, right? And, and just kind of operating at that level has led to the stigma that that's somehow that's underperforming, right? So there's a real kind of clash of opinion, right? Between kind of the, the Gen Z workers, I would say more specifically, and kind of what these employers are looking for. And that's really leading to a lot of this kind of quiet quitting. 
Well, that makes a lot of sense. So do you think that Gen Zers make up a large part of the quote unquote offenders? We won't call them offenders, but for lack of a better term. And do you think this is kind of like partially because of this? Some of these people are first time corporate employees. And so they started maybe their career in a work from home environment by and large. Do you think that played a role in the quiet quitting phenomenon? In other words, they just kind of learned working at home in my sweatpants is is what work is? I don't know if it's necessarily that, right? I mean, I've heard that kind of theory put out there that maybe some of it's due to COVID and then people realize like, hey, if I'm going to kind of put this extra effort, I want to work for a company that, you know, that aligns with my missions and values. And trust me, that is super, super important today, right? It doesn't matter if you're a Gen Z or millennial, Gen X, you name it like that has, that's, that's more systematic of kind of post COVID. Quiet quitting is more I think, and, and the reason I think Gen Z is really focused in on it is because I think what you're seeing is that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I would say earlier generations that look at this and say, you know, if you really work hard, you can achieve so many things and all of this stuff, right? Well, the economy is different now, right? Inflation is real, right? The ability to afford and pay for things that you could afford, you know, 30, 40 years ago is very different now, right? Look at the, the cost of a house, right? And so a lot of Gen Zers are kind of looking at this saying like, why am I going to overextend myself for something where financially the reward might not be there? In addition, another part too is that, does this company actually care for me, right? Like that's that's really, really important, I, I would say for Gen Z as well, right? And so I would say Gen Z is kind of more leading this focus, but understand that's the future of the workforce. That's the today, today's workforce, right? It's where the talent is coming from. So it's a very important issue. Now that said, there are some millennials, right? There are some other generations that are certainly contributing to this, but I think Gen Z has been, you know, I think severely impacted by this. Yeah. Well, I guess, and the reason I phrased the question that way, it wasn't maybe to pose them as like lazy or working in their sweatpants, but it's they're like, but. they're maybe one of the first generations that doesn't have the boss looking over their shoulder because they started off their career life working perhaps from home or on Zoom or whatnot. So they had like a different understanding of expectations. And maybe you hustle a little harder when you're in the office. And when, you know, it's a little more laissez-faire because people aren't breathing down your neck, you get a different understanding of what it means to hustle. My question, the next question is kind of the flip side of that. Some are definitely saying that this is just a new name for work smarter, not harder. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm not sure if that's it, right? I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I can see why that, that would be something that you could associate something to this. But I mean, I think like what I'm really seeing here is that this is more, right, again, I think the financial part is certainly a piece of it, but I really think an element of it too is does does Gen Z or do any employees, right, do they feel connected to the mission of the company as well? Do they feel like, listen, the time I'm going to spend on this, right, is this really going to make an impact on the world? And I think, or not necessarily an impact on the world, but an impact towards a mission that they care about. And I think that's something that, is starting to become more and more important. And we just alluded to it earlier, right? This is kind of post-COVID, but this is also kind of contributing to this, you know, kind of this focus as well. So I think, you know, it's not necessarily just a matter of kind of working smarter versus working harder. I think it's also kind of aligned to those missions and values that, you know, I would say that Gen Z really cares about and, and, and same thing with millennials. Right. Well, that all makes sense. Let's kind of take this to the other side of things. Like I've heard you say that quiet quitting isn't really a lack of commitment on the talent side, but instead is more or a symptom, I guess, of poor leadership. Can you tell us what that means and like any advice on how to maintain worker engagement? So I think this is kind of, and, and I didn't really put this specifically in the article and something that I would want to put together in the future is this is more around is there also quiet firing going on, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we're starting to see too is that 
I think this is this is kind of what's leading to the quiet quitting is that there's also this whole concept of quiet firing, which is, you know, there are employers that are out there that aren't that are not having those tough conversations with their employees, right? Like they're not addressing performance. They're not addressing the the state of how the employee feels inside the company, right? And so when you don't have those tough conversations, what ends up happening is left hand isn't talking to the right hand, right? So you've got these employers that are sitting here saying, man, I can't seem to get anything out of this specific employee. And the employees in there saying like, well, they're not really telling me what I should be doing, right? So I'm just going to, I've got a scorecard here. Or I've got a specific job description. I'll go ahead and do it. And then the employers are really telling them, well, I mean, I'm expecting more yeah. from you than that, right? So I think sense. that's part of the the piece that is also occurring is that the employer and the employee just in many cases aren't seeing eye to eye and it's leading to this kind of potential symptom of quiet firing. So like lack of transparency, lack of direction, lack of boundaries. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, I've also heard on the flip side of all of this clandestine contracting. So I've actually heard there's a big article in Inc. on people taking on two jobs two careers without telling the employer because they're working from home. No one can see what they're doing. So they're just kind of putting in 50% of their effort on both and taking two paychecks. Have you heard about yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, so, so what you're talking about is that they're, they're working two different roles basically. Yeah. Well, time, two different right? jobs, two different companies. Like they're basically like taking on two, you know, maybe consulting work or something else on the side where they just are basically, oh yeah, oh, yeah. like essentially, yeah, yeah. No, this, like, this. some people call it a side hustle. Some people call it like, all right, you know, if my, if I was working for a, a big company and they found yeah. out I was doing a whole second job on their dime during the day, I think they'd be pretty unhappy. Yeah. I mean, I think that comes down to, you know, this type of environment that we're living in, right. In terms of, you know, kind of more of a remote workforce, people have flexibility to do what they need to do. Right. So like at the NSLS, for example, right. Like we, our entire staff is remote and a big in, a growing part of our staff is actually based in Latin America. So we're starting to, to expand our programs into Colombia. And I would say every single one of our employees in Colombia have multiple roles, right? Like they're working for different companies or, you know, they're maybe they're a teacher at night or what have you. That's totally fine, right? Like, I mean, if you, you have to do what you need to do to support your family and support your objectives, right? And especially in this world that we're living in where kind of expenses are increasing across the board, I think as an employer, you have to kind of look at this with, you know, say more of a discerning eye towards understanding the real needs of your employees, right? And being a little bit more flexible. Now that said, you've got some NDAs and things that are in place. You have to make sure that your company is protected. Right. But if you communicate with your employees and understand like, what those other opportunities are that they might be pursuing, I don't see why that has to be a problem, right? I mean, most people today are hustling on the side or whatnot, right? As long as you have good communication and good relationships with your employees, I think you can kind of solve for these things, right? What if someone has an Airbnb, right? If they're doing something like that, that's Yeah, cool. well, I don't think that was the conversation. It wasn't like the traditional side hustle. It was literally clandestine, which basically means exactly the opposite of what you're saying, which is no communication. Yeah. And I, mm. I mean, I can imagine like that, that, you know, if I was an employer and I had an employee that was a full-time contracted employee with benefits and I found out they had another like essentially full-time type of role where they were doing a consultancy work and maybe there's even some competitive nature of the businesses, you know, I can imagine where that would get sticky. So I think it's really interesting yeah. in a hands-off environment where people are kind of in their apartments or homes working. I can see a lot of like what we have to wade through our new waters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's an ever-changing workforce for sure. And I think the needs of this upcoming generation have changed significantly than previous generations. So it's definitely something employers need to be watching out for. Totally agreed. So speaking of what employers need to be watching out for, you know, there's a new Gallup poll that literally said that half of employees are not engaged at work with another 16% actively disengaged. And this yeah. is not completely new, by the way. I wrote a LinkedIn yeah. article on this like uh, six years ago that, you know, about just general dissatisfaction at work and how to try to turn that around. 
let's talk about the cost of disengagement for employers. Like, obviously, there's a financial cost. There's a cultural cost, you know, within the organization. What are your thoughts on the impact of disengagement? Because I think there's a difference, Neil, right, between putting healthy boundaries, you know, I'm just going to work my, like, to my scope and I'm going to log off at 530. And then there's just really being like, you know what, kind of having an FU attitude being like, you don't care about me, so I don't really care about you. Because the other part of the, there's another Gallup poll, the quiet quitting stat said that 21% of workers are quiet quitting. They say they only do the bare minimum. And then another percentage, like 5% said they were just doing way less than they got paid to do. For sure. There's a lot of people out there just being like, given the big middle finger, like, you know what, you haven't cared about me for a long time. Guess what? You know, I'm going to collect my paycheck and keep it moving. What is the cost? Are you looking at like the overall cost financial and culturally for some of these organizations of this new wave of disengagement? Yeah, I mean, I think we're looking at it more from the cultural side, right? So for our organization, right, our goal is to help students become leaders, right? Like our goal is to kind of build them, give them those tools so that they can become a leader for life, right? Like what are those habits and those things that you need? Well, a big part of that too is understanding what's important to you as a student, right? As you kind of get started with your career, what are your missions? What are your values? What are things that are really, really important to you as you kind of start your career trajectory? So that way, when you're evaluating roles, you can figure out what are the types of companies that kind of line up to that. Because the one thing we've always seen is that companies, and it sounds a little cliche, but it's really important. You've got to have core values, right? Like what are the core values of your organization? Because that really builds the DNA of your company. Like that's, that's helps you understand what type of talent you want to bring in. And for your existing talent, how can you kind of support their development into those core values that ultimately get your company to the objectives that you're trying to go? So I think that's one of the opportunities that we see for companies right now is to be explicitly clear on here's our core values, right? Here's what we're trying to attract, whether it's, you know, mission driven, member obsessed, you name it, growth mindset, put those things out there, right? But you got to live those core values too, right? So your company has to make sure how are you actually sticking to those and showing, you know, your employees that this matters, right? Because that'll start to attract more people. So I think that's the step one is make sure that you have, you're clear on those core values. And if you're not, that's when the attrition occurs, right? Like the attrition will definitely occur when you're bringing in the wrong people and you're sacrificing those core values on the people that you're bringing in because left hand isn't talking to the right and ultimately it's going to lead towards people leaving. It's, it's, the, it's one of the main, if not the main reason for the great resignation. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, so I'm a keynote speaker kind of out there on the circuit talking about this exact topic so much, quiet quitting, the overall resistance to, you know, kind of these RTO mandates and it's across the board. We're not just seeing it in Gen Zers. The entire staff of the New York Times, you know, mm-hmm. was up in arms. Yeah. They didn't want to go back. And it's we're seeing it with all sorts of generations. Yeah. So outside of the things that are completely valid reasons to resist mandated office returns, like the rising cost of gas prices and people not being able to find or afford childcare in this socioeconomic yeah. climate. Like I get that. Uh, my personal feeling and what I try to address with people is that it's so often deeply personal. I think many people don't want to return out of a sense of underlying fear. And I would imagine that you get this with students who are maybe uh, don't feel fully equipped to go in and face the workforce with some of the same right acuity that uh, their predecessors did because they've grown up in a different environment. Totally. A lot of adults, like older, you know, people my age, old, old yeah. ladies like me are scared to go back <laughs> to work because they literally, in my opinion, forgot how to have face-to-face contact, you know, with bosses or coworkers or just thinking of going back and managing relationships or tough conversations or criticism gives them massive anxiety or even just the pressures of having to show up on time, you know, and not be able to complete other errands during the day or or having to wear work-appropriate attire. I mean, look, 42% of Americans gained unwanted weight during the pandemic. I have coaching clients that were considering quitting their high-paying jobs because they were so full of shame 
to go back yeah. to the office with 20 additional pounds. And that's real. You know, that's real. So what do you think about this? I hate to kind of circle back to my earlier question because I, I don't mean to say like, do you think people have simply gotten too comfortable working from home in sweatpants? Like that kind of just dumbs it down. But do you think that there is an element of this quiet quitting that is a front for people not wanting to have to kind of go back and deal with bosses and, and coworkers in real time or not feeling like they're imbued with a sense of confidence or skill set? Yeah. And, and so I'll, I'll give you my perspective. The reason I refer to Gen Z a lot is because that's who we primarily work with. Uh, of the 1.5 million members that we work with at colleges throughout the US, it's mostly Gen Z, right? And so I can speak from their perspective, right? And the perspective that I've understood with, really with them is that they are, they've really been kind of a, a digital population. So I mean, this is kind of how they grew up. It's how they've interacted, right? And so when you go back into the workforce, you're dealing with other generations that really did not grow up with that. And so in terms of having those difficult conversations, those interactions, it's just something that it's not that they can't do it. It's just that the experience isn't there yet, but they can definitely build it. And so that I think it's more of a it's a lack of confidence in building that, which is why it's really on universities, right, to find those opportunities, those internships, what have you, where that they can start to build those build that skill set, right? Those interpersonal skills, right? Really kind of that, that those leadership skills that allow you to influence and relate to one another in kind of critical thinking situations. And I think that's just a bit of a challenge right now. And so, you know, my hope is that, you know, kind of in the future here, there'll be more of those opportunities, whether, and, and you know, there's other programs that are out there, right? There's like Google certificates and other things like that, that really allow students to kind of connect with one another that allow for that opportunity. But I think that's really kind of what's going on here, at least from a Gen Z perspective is it's probably that lack of confidence of how to kind of relate to some of these other generations and to kind of push their agendas forward. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about the specific work that you do with these young people and how you imbue them with these skills? Yeah, absolutely. So the National Society of Leadership and Success has been around for 20 years, right? And so what we do is that we really focus on giving students that initial foundation of leadership skills. So what we're really trying to do is help students understand what is, you know, and I guess maybe if I was to back up for a second is that, you know, if you actually think about kind of leadership today, right, like the definition for what a leader is, doesn't totally jive with kind of how Gen Z might see a leader. So what we see is that we see we have an opportunity and more of a responsibility to kind of help them build those leadership skills now by providing radically accessible leadership programming. That's kind of our focus. That's kind of our goal. You don't have to go to Harvard to become a leader, right? And so what our goal is to really do is to provide them with that initial skill set. So we have some online programming that they do. We put them together in peer groups and we allow them to kind of start building those skills together because our goal ultimately is to help them become a leader for life, right? Like how do you build those habits that allow you to become a leader for life than just reading the latest, you know, or reading a Franklin Covey book and then leaving it there not picking it up again. Right. So if, if we're talking about just all people, Gen Z across yeah. the board, yeah. if we want to imbue people with a few things to have in their personal arsenal to make their professional lives a bit easier or happier, or to make them, I, I like to talk about hacking your hustle, right? To make you feel yeah. a little more enthusiastic about the new normal. In other words, if we were to give them like a return to work toolkit in this new normal, yeah. or even just returning to work, hybrid working environments, just to kind of play the other edge of the card for, of quiet quitting, right? Yeah. How do we excite people or what are a couple of like basic skills that we can give them to make them more excited and enthusiastic about tomorrow, the future of talent? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to one thing really is having a growth mindset. I think today too often people have more of what's called a fixed mindset, right? Like they're not really open to feedback. They kind of want to, they're, they're fearful of failure. 
Growth mindset is the exact opposite of that, right? Growth mindset is going into any situation and knowing that you don't have to be the expert, right? Like go into every situation as an opportunity to learn, right? You might get some things wrong along the way, but you're going to learn from those things. And so anyone, right? Whether you're, and it, regardless of the type of role that you're in, there's an opportunity always to learn and continue to build your skill set. And I'll tell you right now, right? Like Gen Z, actually kind of expects this. Like they're kind of expecting when they go work for a company, that company is going to invest in their development. It's why, for example, like Google certificates that I just mentioned before and other programs, on-demand learning is so popular right now because they continue to believe that, hey, I need to upskill, right? Like upskilling is that lifelong learning journey. So the more folks can, can kind of start with that base level growth mindset, the more likely, you know, they can avoid some of these and, and can companies kind of inspire their employees to have that growth mindset, that's really where you're going to start to kind of get away from some of the quiet quitting issues that, you know, are starting to occur, right? Like, look at look at this as, listen, you know, maybe the financial reward might not be there, but over kind of the span of your career, you're building a skill set, you're building tools that you can utilize that are going to help your resume, right? Regardless if it's here or somewhere else, go into it with that kind of that mindset of like, listen, I'm going to go into this, I'm going to learn something, I'm going to pick something up, I'm making some things wrong along the way, but I'm going to be better off for it. And I think the company is going to be better off for it too, right? So I think that's really what it comes down to is having that growth mindset. I think you just hit the nail on the head, Neil, because I think that's why it's harder for some of us older generations. And and I can say that here because, you know, we're amongst friends. In other words, mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners of are of my age, right? They're um, maybe like millennial moms or, yep. they, you know, they're out there. Maybe they they had a professional career. Maybe they're, they're on an act two or, or they have mm-hmm. a side hustle to begin a full hustle or whatever the case may be. I look back on my career and I was that, that intern. This is not to do my own horn. It's because this was the culture of the day. I, we were that, those interns together that would like, you know, 530 would pull up a chair to our, 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 you know, whoever was our manager and say, Hey, could I watch you write that press release? I'd love to learn. And mm-hmm. we just really wanted to get a, you know, to get all the skills that we could and to learn and to be a contributing part. And I took so much pride in my professional development. I still do. Mm-hmm. I reinvent, I'm not the girl who buys Balenciaga bags. I'm the girl who mm-hmm. buys more personal development courses because mm-hmm. the more you can learn, the bigger you grow. And I think that's where it's very incongruous. It's hard for some of us to understand quiet quitting because to me, doing the least, doing the bare minimum sounds super boring, mm-hmm. super unfulfilling. And at the end of the day, it sounds like it would not make me feel proud or fulfilled. Somebody said the other day, I was at a professional development weekend and somebody was like, yeah, there's no quiet quitting in the Olympics. And I was like, oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, like, do you want to be the best or do you just want to be, or you just want to check in? And I guess, I guess that's what I'm trying to reconcile. Do you think people are just trying to like clock in and collect a paycheck and keep it moving? Or is there some other impediment? Well, I mean, and and I think it kind of depends on the type of roles that we're talking about too, right? I mean, I think kind of the hourly type of, you know, even kind of tip-based roles, but that's really, I think, where you're seeing the predominant view of kind of quiet quitting. Like that's where, you know, back in the days you could work at McDonald's and, you know, you could buy a house with a $20,000. That's just not the case anymore, right? So I think that's really kind of where you're seeing it much more prevalent. But I think today when you're really thinking about kind of your, kind of these corporate type employees, I think that's more a misalignment of kind of the mission of the company and the values of that specific employee, right? And I think that's a conversation that just needs to happen, right? That conversation between the manager and the employee, that really needs to happen to make sure kind of, are we aligned, right? And are you having those tough conversations? And so I think that's really kind of where this is occurring more. 
so interesting, Neil. Thank you for all of this. You know, I think it's really hard. I can't imagine, you know, being in leadership. I just imagine that these questions must keep leaders up at night because it's like you want to bring people in, you want to get them inspired, you want to bring them in on the mission, but they don't want to even want to come into the office. You know, it's like, how do you even have like a team building exercise if nobody even wants to see each other? And it's, it's just yeah. hard. And, and, you know, I was just doing another interview, uh, just a little bit ago and the, the gal who I was talking to, she goes, you know, we might just need to get comfortable in the chaos for a while. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe just for a minute, there might not be an answer today. We might mm-hmm. just need to keep figuring it out. And all I can say is keep your own side of the street clean. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. I mean, I think, I think what it comes down to is as a company, can you understand, you know, and again, I'll always go back to this, right? Because it's just a, it's a relatively, it's a recipe to follow, right? Like, can you get your core values right? Can you get your mission right? Right? Like, and can you communicate those? And are you living that? And if you do that, you'll attract the folks that want to be a part of that mission. And they're going to want to be a part of that, right? Do they understand? It doesn't matter what level they are. Do they understand how they're contributing to that mission? And are you continuing? Like, CEO should be more CRO, Chief Reminding Officer, right? Like, that's your job. You've got to continue to remind and remind and remind, right? Like, this is our mission. This is our focus. This is how you tie to that. And if that starts to kind of cascade across the organization, that's really when things are going to start to line up. So that would just be my parting suggestion would be, you know, to consider it from that perspective. I, that is fabulous advice. Thank you so much for that and for everything. We have one last segment that we always do on this show. Usually okay. my fabulous co-host Megan is the one who calls it out. But today I'm going to do it. And it okay. goes something like this. Karma call. So karma is a Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our guests, what is one small action that you can encourage our listeners to do every day that would make a big result in their life overall? That's a great question, right? So something you can do every single day. You know, I think, and, and again, if this is something you do every day or every month or every week, that's kind of up to you. But I'm a big fan of mentorship, right? Like huge fan of mentorship. And, and I believe whether you're a mentor or a mentee, that ability to give back is something that we all have to consistently get better at, right? And so if you're a mentor, right, like how can you support the future leaders of tomorrow or other folks that have asked for your support? Like that's something simple to do is to kind of get into that habit of giving back. And so if you're a mentee, you're kind of consuming, right? If you're a mentor, you're giving back. But I think that's a habit that has a ton of karma, you know, kind of laid into it that I think is helpful for both the mentee and the mentor. Fabulous advice. I absolutely love that, Neil. Thank you. We can't thank you enough for your time and for being here. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they find you on the gram, on the internet, and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me, um, best place is always uh, through Twitter, right? So you can go ahead and find me. It's uh, forward slash Neil Count, right? So you can find me pretty easily there. I post quite a bit related to leadership, so I'd suggest Twitter. Uh, Same thing on LinkedIn too, forward slash Neil Count. So you can go ahead and find me there. And uh, yeah, look forward to engaging with folks. Amazing. Well, we are so glad that you engaged with us today. Thank you for all of that great insight. And thank you listeners for joining along at home. Hey, don't forget to follow us on the gram. We are off the gram podcast over there. And don't forget to subscribe to the show everywhere podcasts can be consumed so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time.